Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast from San Jacinto Assembly of God in Amarillo, Texas. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit us online at www.sjag.church. Now here's this week's message. Amen. Well, this morning we are continuing our mini-series I started last week titled Travel Guide. And last week we discovered that we are all passing through this world on a journey to an eternal destination. And we have a choice to make on which travel guide we want to follow, whether that be the thief or Jesus. And depending on who we decide to follow depends on where we spend our eternity. We can either spend eternity in heaven with Jesus or we can spend eternity in hell with the thief. So like it or not, as I mentioned, this life is only a brief moment. The Bible talks about being a vapor. And I don't know if you've ever seen a vapor, if you've ever been part of a science experiment, but it usually goes just like that, a vapor, and it's gone. That's what the Bible talks about. Our life is compared to eternity. It's just a vapor. But as we travel through, we can have some fun adventures along the way. Now, once again, I took to Facebook to ask some, for some quality sermon material. I use that term quality very loosely. But I asked for some funny travel stories. And right off the bat, I had a doozy. And as I promised some of these on my post, I will not mention any names to protect the innocent. If you go back and read the post, that's on you. I mean, you can figure it out real quick who I'm talking about. But the first one started off, my parents took us to Pecan Park in San Marcos several years ago. And one evening, my dad was working on the sewage to the camper. Long story short, it exploded all over him and everything and even on all of our shoes. Talk about a stinky situation. Then I had another one that kind of echoed that same lines. Every time I travel, I have emergency bathroom issues. Lord have mercy. We're going to leave it at that. The first time Jason and I took a trip together after we were married, we had stopped for gas and snacks and he got some cheese dip and pork rinds. And he asked me to open the cheese for him and told me to just throw the metal top part out the window. Well, when I did... It came flying back, and cheese got all in my hair. Another one said, we never get an early start. We always set, our, set up our camper in the dark. Our neighbors aren't friendly the next day for some reason. Then this one. So one time we were driving back from Phoenix with this guy named Oliver. He was sleeping so nice. But we came upon a semi being towed. It looked like the front of the semi was headed straight for us. So we sped up a little and then slammed on the brakes and screamed. I will never forget the look on Oliver's face seeing the front of that truck. Good times. Now, I don't know who this Oliver is, but I bet it was hilarious. It was me. It was me. And I've done this to others since because it was just that good. But... Even though there are some things that we can look back that are funny, and we have some good times when it comes to travel, 
we can also go through some times that are a bit nerve-wracking. Anniversary trip, we drove from DFW to California, and driving through Arizona, the middle of nowhere on the way home, and someone else got a flat. I chuckled and said, man, that stinks to be them. And then an hour later, we got a flat. No cell service at all. Someone finally pulled over to help but didn't have the right tool. But they had signals, so they were able to get someone to come and help us. I drove an hour on a donut and made it 10 minutes before Walmart closed to get a new one. To this day, I never joke about someone else getting a flat tire. And the next one, I hope I never have to experience. The flight taxied out on the runway, and then for two hours, we sat there. Only finally going back to the gate and deplaning because our flight was canceled due to unexpected mechanical issue. Now, I've heard those horror stories of sitting on a runway in the heat for hours and then just going back to the gate, not getting able to take your flight. Hope that never happens. But that just goes to show you that even though we have a lot of funny things and great things happen on this journey, it's not always sunshine and rainbows. In fact, I mentioned at the end of my message last week that even though we choose to follow Jesus on this life, on this journey, we use him as our travel guide, that doesn't mean our life will be free from trials and tribulations. This isn't the Lion King, and we don't get to sing Hakuna Matata. You know, y'all know the song, Hakuna Matata, what a wonderful phrase, you know? It means no worries. Yes, I'm a child, or a father of a young child that have watched that movie too many times. But truth is, roadblocks will happen. Some happen as a result of our own doing, and some can come out of nowhere, catching us off guard. It could be as bad as something as that word cancer. One minute you're healthy as a horse, and the next you're not certain whether you're going to be able to live much longer. And this could go for any number of health problems, and not just cancer. But you don't know whether or not it's even worth fighting. Or it could be the unexpected, possibly even expected death of a loved one. It could be a family member or a close friend. But it's something that catches you off guard. Even in the times where you know it's coming, the actual event can be devastating to you. And that grief can grab a hold of you. And some days it can be even hard to function. Or you could walk into work one day and be told you no longer have a job. With that goes financial stability. You can wonder where your next meal is going to come from, how your bills are going to get paid, and you may be even wondering what people are thinking about you because you lost your job. Or maybe it's relationship troubles. Friends that once pointed you to God have returned to their old habits, or maybe the friends that you hung out with before giving your life to Christ are trying to hinder what God is doing in your life. Or maybe you feel alone like you have no friends. 
you know, nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I guess I'll just eat worms. It could be a family member that is pulling on you, blocking you. It could be trouble in your marriage causing you to struggle. It could be any number of things. But see, it's not just the bad things that can become a roadblock in our life. Contentment can be a roadblock as well. Life has dealt you a good hand. And due to that, you have become comfortable. And in that comfort, you fail to go anywhere. You become lazy. You sort of coast down the road. You coast in your relationship with the Lord. That can become a roadblock in your life. Now these are just a handful of examples. I'm sure we could go on and on this morning of possible roadblocks that you may encounter in your life. But no matter the circumstance, those roadblocks will do their best to try and detour your walk with the Lord. Try to get you to change course. Get you to blame God. Maybe even doubt God. Which brings up the age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people? Does anyone know the answer to that? Anyone? It's a tough question. Well, if this is what happens when I serve God, I give of my time and my money, why even bother? Many will try to skirt around this question because they don't have the answer. Or you'll have those well-meaning friends that offer some words of encouragement. Now, while they may not be untrue, it really doesn't feel like it helps in the moment. You have the ones that say, well, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Or it's always darkest before the dawn. Or this too shall pass. Now, I have to mention, unless I'm passing a kidney stone, I don't think that's a good thing I want to hear. Or it builds character. Now, I've been guilty of saying these things, and I'm sure each of us in this room probably have as well. And while they're well-meaning, it still doesn't answer that question, why do bad things happen to good people? And we'll get to that answer in just a few moments. But first, I want to take a look at a gentleman who has faced his fair share of roadblocks along his journey called life. Turn with me all the way back to Genesis chapter 37. And here we find a story that you may or may not be familiar with. It's the story of Joseph. And if you're not real familiar with it, fasten your seatbelt because he goes on quite the ride. On his journey. But in Genesis 37, we first meet a young boy who is named Joseph. He is just 17 years old at the time, and he was a young man who honored God. Now it says in verse, starting in verse number three, that now Israel loved Joseph more than any one of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. 
So already in the story, we have some potential conflict arising between Joseph and his brothers. But it gets better. Verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Well, so his brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. But then he dreamed another dream. If one dream wasn't enough, we have another one. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers again and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he had told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Now it may not have been his wisest choice to tell his brothers this dream, right? His brothers definitely didn't like the thought of them having to bow down to their little brother. And those of you who have younger siblings can possibly relate. But from this point in the story, Joseph goes through a series of unfortunate events. He hits some roadblocks. The first one is he is plotted against. So he's told this dream to his brothers. They're not very happy with him. And so his father actually ends up sending his brothers out into the fields and he sends Joseph to find them. And in Genesis 37, starting in verse number 18, it says, They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then... We will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. They were pretty upset with Joseph. They didn't like what they were told. And so they're like, we're going to take matters into our own hands. We're, gonna just, we're just going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. But fortunately for Joseph, Reuben was in the mix and he talked some sense into them. And they spared his life. In verse number 22, it says, And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness. But do not lay a hand on him. And then it continues in that verse, That he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So Reuben's intention was not just to spare his life, but to save and to restore Joseph. So before throwing him in the pit, his brothers stripped him of his robe and threw him in. But see, the story doesn't end there because Reuben never gets to restore Joseph. As the story continues, we find out that Joseph is sold. Instead of Reuben being able to come back to rescue and restore Joseph to his fathers, the brothers saw a moment of opportunity. 
They sat down to eat, verse 25, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took him to Egypt. So as, state, as stated, he winds up in Egypt. And then while there, he is sold yet again. This time to the household of a man named Potiphar, who was a captain of the guard, an officer of, failure, of Pharaoh. He was pretty high ranking. And if we fast forward to Genesis chapter 39, we see Joseph's story continue. And the scripture tells us that the Lord was with Joseph. And Joseph was faithful to the Lord. Genesis 39, verses 2 through 4, it says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Because of his faithfulness to the Lord, everything he touched was as gold. And in verse 5, in the second part of the verse, it tells us that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had, the house and field. So things are going pretty good. Yeah, he got sold into slavery, but he's in charge of the whole house of Potiphar. There is not anybody that is underneath him other than, or that he is underneath other than Potter, Potiphar. So life was looking pretty good. And just when you think everything was great for Joseph, along comes roadblock number three. Joseph is accused. The passage of scripture tells us that he was handsome in form and appearance. He was a good-looking fellow. And because of this, he caught the eye of none other than the wife of Potiphar. And multiple times she made advances at him. And each time Joseph, being a man of integrity, refused. He's like, mm-mm, no. And even at one point, he posed a question. He says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? But then a moment of opportunity came for Potiphar's wife. And in verse number 11 of chapter 39, we see the story pick up. It says, but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. 
And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Joseph, a man of integrity, a man of character, a man that loved God and God loved him, was accused of something he didn't even do. The moment she grabbed his garment, he was like, I'm out of here. See you later. Not today, Satan. But now it was his word against hers. And of course, you know that she's really going to talk it up and lay it on thick. So it goes from bad to worse for Joseph as soon as the master of the house gets home. And another roadblock is thrown in the mix as he's thrown in prison. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Now I'm sure you've heard the stories of the ones that are in prison that they say, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. Well, in this case, it was absolutely true. And I probably at this point would have just given up. It's like one thing after another, no matter what I do right, keeps slamming me back down. I'm like, forget it. But again, Scripture tells us that the Lord was with Joseph. Even in prison, the Lord was with Joseph. And he gets put in charge of all of the prisoners. Now that's my kind of prison gig. Because the Lord was with him, he was successful in all that he did. And in a shift in the story, we have two people enter the conversation. The chief cupbearer and the chief baker. Now they had made Pharaoh mad, so he put him in prison. And it was appointed that Joseph would be over them. And for time's sake, we're going to go through the Oliver's International Version, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase this. But the cupbearer and the baker have dreams that troubled them, and no one could interpret him. So they turn to Joseph, and he's like, well, the Lord can interpret him. So Joseph interprets these dreams for the cupbearer and the chief baker. All that he asked of the cupbearer was that he would remember him when they were restored. So some time passes and both the dreams come to pass. Just as Joseph had said with the Lord's help. And you would think this would be on the path to redemption for Joseph already. He's done with the roadblocks, but no. One more pops up. And he's forgotten. You see, remember he asked the cupbearer to remember him when he's restored. Well, it says in Genesis 39, 20 through 23, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants and lifted up the head of the chief, chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had said. And in verse 23, it says, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Have you ever felt forgotten? When you said, hey, remember me. Hey, remember what, remember what I did for you? Remember that. 
But the cupbearer is like, he didn't remember. He forgot. And so two years pass because the cupbearer had forgotten him. Two more years that Joseph had to be in prison. Roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. And if I were Joseph, I might have been pretty discouraged. I probably would have been wallowing in my own self-pity, asking the question, or saying, I had a dream. Why do all these bad things keep happening to me? God, I serve you. I honor you. Why me? Maybe you've been in a similar situation. And it just seems like the second you get your head above water, another roadblock hits. You may say things like, Lord, I pay my tithe. I read your word. I go to church. I follow you. I seek you daily. Why does this keep happening to me? So at the end of those two years, Pharaoh has a set of dreams himself. And finally, the cupbearer remembers what Joseph had done in interpreting his dreams. And long story short, he comes on the scene and he Joseph comes on the scene and interprets the dreams for Pharaoh. Famine was coming. And not just any famine, a severe famine. They were going to have seven years of abundance and then they were going to have seven years of severe famine. And because Pharaoh sensed that the Lord was with Joseph yet again, he appoints him number two in all of Egypt. He will be in charge of preparing for this famine. And so from the time Joseph had his dream to this point, it has been 13 years. 13 years of life. 13 years of roadblocks. So the famine comes and it spreads not just in Egypt but to all the other lands. There was no food except for in the land of Egypt, what they had stored in the seven years of abundance. And the preparations that Joseph had helped them make. And Jacob, Joseph's father, finds out that there's food in Egypt, so he sends his sons. And who do they come before? None other than their little brother, the dreamer, Joseph. Joseph's dream had now become reality. Now his brothers didn't recognize him and he didn't reveal himself. So after some things transpired, he sent them away with grain, just like he did everyone else. But the famine was so severe that once again, Jacob had to send the brothers back to Egypt to get more grain. And in chapter 45, Joseph finally can't take it anymore and finally reveals himself to his brothers. At this point, they become frightened that he was going to kill them or throw them in prison. But instead, we see the heart of God flowing through him. Instead of getting bitter, instead of harboring unforgiveness, instead of hating his life and where he had been and the roadblocks he had faced, instead of crying, woe is me, he says this, and I want you to hear this this morning. 
Genesis chapter 45 and verse number 5. He says, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. That is not the thing that I would have been saying at that moment. You did this to me. This is your fault. I had to go through prison. I was accused. I was sold. But no, he says, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Woo! Talk about mercy. That's not what would, have hap- what would have happened if I was the Joseph in that moment. The brothers sold him and he ended up there. But that's not how Joseph saw it. Then again in verses 6 and 7 it says, For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And then in verse 7 again he says, And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Wow. What a perspective, right? In the midst of all those roadblocks, in the midst of all the things that he faced, he says, God sent me. He wasn't bitter and angry at his brothers. He wasn't holding on to that for dear life and looking just for the moment where he can get his revenge. He says, God sent me. And then in verse number 8 of chapter 45, it says, So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to failure and Lord of all his house and ruler over all of Egypt. He could have easily had moments to think there was no way he was going to survive. Asking, where is God when I need him? How am I ever going to make it? Why is God allowing this? Those are things that he could have done. Why do bad things happen to good people? Roadblock after roadblock. But instead, he sees it as God sent him. God God himself sent him there for a purpose. And those roadblocks were just obstacles along the way to get him there. Flip over just five more chapters to chapter 50. Their father is now dead. Jacob has got on to the Lord. And the brothers are afraid yet again. Maybe that's the reason he hasn't killed us yet. Maybe that's the reason we're not thrown in prison because dad was still alive. Dad was protecting me. So they expect Joseph to take revenge on them and get even. And in Genesis 50, in verse 19, it says, But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Wow. What a response from Joseph. So by now you may be thinking, are you trying to tell me that everything bad that happens is God's design? That makes you really want to serve God, right? But look at verse 20 again. You meant evil against me. 
He was talking to his brothers. You. But God meant it for good. God didn't intend evil for Joseph. But what God did was take the evil intent of others and turn it in such a way as to position Joseph for what God had designed him to do. God took those roadblocks and used them to make those dreams that he had given Joseph come true. Now, if God had given him dreams about these roadblocks, Joseph may have been like, I don't want any of that. Forget this. I'm not doing that. Joseph didn't know they were coming, but they didn't catch God by surprise. God knew the end result. He knew where Joseph would be at the end of that dream. And this promise continues for us today. Did you know that? Over in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, we find a promise. And in Romans chapter 8, verse number 28, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. I love the way the New American Standard put it. It says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Do you believe that today? I don't, did you hear what he said? In all things, those good things that you face in your life, he takes for good. Those bad things that you may be facing in life, he can turn for good. Those evil things, those unfair things, those horrible things, and those great things. All things. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. You see, bad things do happen to good people, and they happen to bad people, and they happen to God people, God's people. That's part of life on the earth. No one is immune from sickness, heartache, or trouble. But those who love God have a promise today. When bad things happen, God will use it and turn it for your good and the good of others. Even when it looks like life is spinning out of control, God is still working. God is working behind the scenes, orchestrating circumstances on your behalf. All right, Pastor Oliver, that's great. But you still haven't answered the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do these roadblocks pop up on this journey called life? Very simply, bad things happen because we live in a sin-filled world, a fallen world, in a bad, sin-filled, evil world, and they happen to good people and to bad people. The difference is, God ultimately uses the bad things that happen to the child of God to bring about good for you and for others. Well, what happens if I die? What, what happens then? How's that good? Well, you know, we can be fairly short-sighted when it comes to that thing called death. 
But the whole point of living for Jesus is to go be with him in heaven. When we die, we win. Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. So while those of us that are left here on earth, we mourn and we grieve. But trust me, when it comes your time or the time of your loved one that loves Jesus, they're not mourning and grieving in heaven. They're around the throne of God, worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Whew. God ultimately uses the bad things that happen to you, the child of God, to bring about good for you and for others. So did God cause all the bad? No, he did not. But God will use what the enemies tried to use to destroy you, to turn it for good, in a way that you could never imagine. And in life's giant challenges and in life's minor inconveniences, God is working for those who love him. You know, I think about some, some things that happened in our life. When we lived in Lubbock, we, we were actually going through a building program in our church as well. We were remodeling the sanctuary. So this is my second time having to go through that. That was super awesome. And we were raising the money for this. Trying to raise, I think we raised $100,000 as a matter of fact. And you know, at the beginning of that project, God asked us, to give a certain amount. Now, when we lived in Lubbock, we did not make, well, we still don't make very much money, but when we lived in Lubbock, we were living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, it was scraping pennies sometimes. And we're like, there is no way that God, I mean, it'd have to be God. There's no way that we are going to be able to raise that much money. Not a way in the world. It would have to be God. Well, then it wasn't maybe a week or two later Jeanette was at work, and she worked as a traveling CNA. She was in an in-home hospice, so she traveled to people's homes and, and went in and took care of them. And at a red light, a guy misses this red light and T-bones Jeanette in our car. So not only were we thinking about this faith promise that God would have us to give, but now we're like, oh, I've got to buy a car. Because the car was totaled. Wasn't anything we could do about it. And what was sad is our cars were both paid off at the time. No car payment. Praise God. Hallelujah. So we're thinking, how in the world are we going to get a new car? How in the world are we going to give what God has asked us to give to this building project? But I'll never forget it. A roadblock that we thought was in place of this accident. Actually, they ended up giving us way more for the car than they probably should have. Not only were we able to give to the building project that we had made a faith promise toward, but we were able to use the rest of it to put a down payment on a good car. In a situation that looked like it was bad, in a situation that looked like a roadblock, that God, there was no way that we were going to be able to do this thing, God made a way. He worked what was bad for good. Not only did he take care of us, his children, but he took care of the faith promise he would have us to give to the church so that we could remodel our sanctuary. 
It was a roadblock. You know, yesterday while I was visiting with Brian and Juanita, uh, Jeanette and I went up to see them. And, you know, y'all, y'all know Brian likes to talk. I love you, Brian, if you're watching this morning. We love to talk with you and Juanita. Because just to hear the faithfulness of God in their life. You know, Wednesday night could have been a roadblock, a seizure in the middle of a Bible study. Having to go to the hospital. Having to deal with these other seizures that he has to deal with sometimes. But I'll never forget something that he said in the hospital yesterday. He started talking about the thorn in the flesh that Paul talked about in Scripture. And now we don't know what that thorn was. We don't know whether it was a physical ailment or, or whether it was somebody that was just nagging him or whatever it was. But he carried this thorn around. And Brian was talking about this thorn that he had to carry, this something bad, this roadblock, this something that could keep him down. But yet he said something I will never forget. If this thorn is something that I have to carry for God's glory, then I will do it. That completely messed me up. If this thorn is something that I have to carry for God's glory, then I will do it. And if you know anything about Brian Awanita, they don't go anywhere without sharing the love of Christ. If it's a nurse coming in, if it's the patient, patient's family across the way that was having a, was not being very nice, and then Juanita was like, you know, let's give them mercy. And then she never heard from her the rest of the day. So <laughs> whatever it is, they share the light of Christ. And if that thorn, those seizures, or what it is that Brian is carrying puts them in places like the hospital where they can share the love of Christ, then he said, so be it. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. All things, afflictions, worries, doubts, heavy burdens, all things he can work it for good. All things he can work for good. I hope you're hearing me this morning. All things he can work for good. How many times have you faced trouble or hardship and wondered, where is God in this? How could a loving God allow this? How could God let this happen to me? One day, what doesn't make sense now will all make sense. And you'll discover that along the way, God has been working and moving and orchestrating things that you cannot see. There's a song that says, even when we can't see it, he's working. Joseph did. He looked back and saw the hand of God upon him in the pit in slavery, in prison, while being forgotten, Joseph saw the hand of God upon him. Let me encourage you this morning when you're staring at a roadblock, when you're facing a really, really bad thing or even things that are a little messed up such as flights, flat tires or sick kids or mean people, 
Trust God's promise more than your perspective. Trust God's promise more than your perspective. See, sometimes we don't see it all. Even Joseph, when he saw the end result in the dream, you know, where his brothers and his family were bowing down to him, he didn't see all the things that he had to go through to get to that point. Maybe God has given you a dream for something or has called you to do something and you don't see how in the world you're going to make it there. And you know, you may face some roadblocks along the way. But remember the promise that God has shown you. Remember the promise that says that all things can work together for good for those who love God. All things. So I don't know if you're in this place this morning and you, that's you. You feel like I faced roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. Oh, just when, oh man, life was good. This is great. Then roadblock. I don't know if that's you. I don't know what you're facing. But I do know that God is with you. God is with you. Hear me, church. God is with you. He's with you in the trial. He's with you in the roadblock. All we have to do is trust him. So with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, just real quickly, If that's you today and you've been asking that very question why does this keep happening to me and and you're you'd be willing this morning just to admit that you're struggling you've struggled a little bit if that's you I'd like you to lift your hand today and say that's me that's me pastor I'm going through some stuff amen is there anyone else this morning I'm going through some stuff. Amen. Hear me this morning. Let me encourage you today. God is with you. And he, in all things, can work for good. Even when it looks bad, he can work for good. Because that's who our God is.